All right, so we're going to start out with an exercise today. Um, but it's okay, you can stay seated as we start, because that's part of the point. So I want you, without using your legs, to stand up and walk out the door. Without using your legs. See what you can do. All right, I'll give, I'll, give, I'll give you a minute to see if any of you can do it. Without using your legs, to stand up. <laughs> He's like jelly. Now, yeah, I mean, uh, have you ever had a teacher give you like an impossible task like that? And you're just like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, what point are you trying to make here? Well, you know, um, I think part of the point is this is what the guy that leads to our story in Acts chapter 3 has to deal with. From birth, he has never known what it's like to walk. This guy is over 40 years old. For 40 years, this guy has not been able to use his legs. Now, I was kind of waiting for one of y'all to, like, do a handstand, you know, like, and, you know, start walking with your hands. That would have been pretty cool. Well, I mean, you know, but they do just kind of dangle in, in a certain capacity. But yes, it's true. But if someone were to try it, I would have given them credit. <laughs> but it's hard, right? And you just think about how helpless of a situation you would be in if you couldn't use your legs, right? I mean, you can't drive, you can't walk, you can't can't do much, right? I mean, you're dependent on other people. And some of what this guy's going through physically is a picture of who we are spiritually. And so as we read Acts chapter 3, I just want you to think about that as we read this chapter and come back and talk about it. So Acts chapter 3, we're going to read the whole story, um, which actually that's not true because the story continues on to chapter 4, but um, we're going to read all of Acts 3 in this first half of the story. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. If you don't have footnotes in your Bible or you don't know where to look for your footnotes in your Bible, that just means like 3 o'clock. So the ninth hour is 3 o'clock. Okay. Verse 2. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, 
whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Wow, that's quite the sermon. Right, so here in Acts chapter 3, really it's almost a parallel to Acts chapter 2. In the first 10, 12, 13 verses, we have this, some amazing, astonishing, miraculous story. And then Peter goes into a sermon from that. And so he uses the opportunity that he has amongst the people to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So let's kind of go back and walk through this story a little bit. So verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Notice that in ministry, I think it usually is a pretty good idea to not do things on your own. Ministry is meant to be done with others, right? This is not really the point of the story. It's just something kind of tangential, just a side fact that we ought to think about when we're thinking of who we are as Christians, we are not meant to be alone, and we're not meant to do ministry alone. We are meant to do it together. And you see here the apostles working together. They're with one another. I mean, that's where we kind of left off at the end of chapter 2. All the people were together. They had all things in common. They were doing ministry together. The Lord was blessing them and adding to their number. But that didn't mean that these Christians and these leaders were just content to kind of go off and do their own thing by themselves. They did things in pairs even. That's what Jesus had sent them out even when Jesus was still living and doing his ministry on earth. Jesus sent them out two by two and said, go to the villages and preach and heal. And, and they did that back in the Gospels. And now you still see them. The other thing that I think is important for us to recognize, just as Christians, one of the things that we see, that we saw in Acts chapter 2 in Peter's sermon, and that we see again here in this sermon in Acts 3, as we look at it here in a few minutes, is that Peter talks about the Old Testament like it belongs to him as a Christian. The Old Testament is for us as Christians. It's still for us as Christians. The Old Testament was not, here's just a story of things that happened in the past so that we could just finally get up to the present New Testament times. This was 
God fulfilled all of the things that he had promised. God had done things in the past to lead up to this point. History was important, and the Old Testament helped us to understand our need for Jesus Christ. And so he kept going to the temple, the Jewish temple, because that is where he was going to have the opportunity to proclaim to the people who Jesus came to at first, to proclaim to them the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus was, the truth of what God was doing through him. And God did not abandon his people. God did not say, hey, I sent you Jesus and you killed him, and now I'm going to send everyone out from Jerusalem and you have no second chance. God is staying true to his word that he cares about his people. And if God was true to his word here and now, even after all the things, all the terrible things that Peter says in this sermon that I just read a few minutes ago, that all that's true, and they did all those terrible things to Jesus, God still was showing them an opportunity for grace and mercy to them. And he still shows that to you and to me, even when we fail, and we fail miserably. It says verse 2, and a man lame from birth. So this is sort of the instigation of this whole story. We don't know how long after Pentecost this happens. But I think that part of why Luke records this story for us is to give us just an example of, hey, if the apostles were doing wonders and signs, this is one of the things that happened through the apostles. For example, right? So verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried. Right? So it's not like this guy had been well at some point. It's not like this guy knew how to walk. It's not like this guy just got injured for a time, tore his ACL and, you know, was in a cast and, you know, needed help and crutches and stuff, right? This guy had no capability, had no experience walking ever. And so what they did is they laid him daily at the gate of the temple. It's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple, right? We see these people sometimes, we don't see them a ton around here. There's a lot more in urban cities where you have people just sitting or standing, you know, intersections kind of idea, right? Go where the people are going and go where the people who are going to be generous are. And if God has told his people to be a generous people, to take care of those, the fatherless, the widows, the broken, right? Which we read actually in Psalm 146, right? God cares for these people. And one of the ways that God cares for these people is through the people that God has called out to be a blessing to others, right? So he's expecting the Jews, the Israelites, to be a blessing to the people among them who can't care for themselves. And this guy's a perfect example. And so this guy's friends, maybe some family, would take him up to the temple and he would get his ability to survive since he couldn't work. He couldn't be a productive member of society. And so he had to sit there and be dependent on everyone else. Verse 3, so seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, right? And you kind of wonder, like I mentioned, these the people that oftentimes are at these intersections, you know, sometimes there'll be people who make eye contact with you, you know, when you're in your car. And sometimes there are people who just kind of sit there because, like, they don't want to make it too awkward, and so they're just kind of, like, staring forward, um, and they know the people are just kind of passing them, right? And some people are like, hey, you know, you want to give me something? 
um, standing in the middle of the median or, you know, that little intersection at Walmart there, that's at seven. Um, that's where the most of them seem to be that I see around here. Um, am I right, John? Is that, yeah, that's a, <laughs> pretty consistent place, right? I mean, he's like, hey, you know, hey, you want to give me something? Maybe there's other people and that are walking in with Peter and John. And so he's just like, hey, you know, hey, you want to give me something? Hey, you want to give me something? You know, kind of those, one of those guys who calls out and just tries to get anybody and everybody. And so Peter, verse 4, directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. So like, hey, stop asking everybody else. Like, hey, look here for a second. I'm going to talk to you. And so what do you think this guy's expecting? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not expecting a lecture. Pretty sure he's not expecting... Hey, you know, well, you ought to do better with your life. You know, oh, you, you made poor decisions, right? This guy, everyone knew this guy, I'm sure. Everyone had seen this guy. They knew he couldn't take care of himself. And so he's expecting to get something. Right, verse 5, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what's interesting as we begin to read verse 7 is it's not that Peter just tells this guy to do something. It's that Peter actually helps him. right? So it's not, hey, you need to figure this out. Here's the truth. Good luck with that. It's not, hey, Jesus can heal you, and I hope he does someday. It's, hey, Jesus can heal you, and... He is going to use me through the power of his spirit to help you do that. To bring to you a new lease on life that you did not have previously. And so Peter doesn't just say, hey, get up and walk and, you know, looks at him and waits for him to get up. He helps him up, right? I mean, I think that's an interesting part of this whole story is that he doesn't say, you know, hey, you're a sinner in need of a savior, Good luck with all that. He helps him up. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, what I think is most interesting about this is many of us in here have had kids or we've seen little bitty kids learn to walk, right? Typically, it's not like they get it first try, right? I mean, typically, you know, they'll take a couple stumbles or maybe they'll hang out to the dog for a couple steps or they'll walk around, you know, holding a little table or up on a chair, you know, and then they'll fall and Right, But what's amazing, I think, about this story is this guy, it's like he knows how to walk, even though he's never walked. Right? I mean, God doesn't just heal him and hope that he figures out, you know, learning what this is like. He gives him the ability, not even just to walk, but to start jumping up and down. Right? To basically run around the place saying, yippee, yeah, like... Wow, this is awesome, right? And I mean, you just think about the first time that you have freedom from like, you know, maybe you're stuck listening to a sermon or maybe you're stuck in a lecture and you're thinking, man, I just, I cannot wait to get out of this place. And as soon as you bust out the doors of the classroom, you're like, ah, yes, freedom, lunch, you know, right? I mean, just think about how excited this guy would have been for 40 years And that's something that we learn at the end of chapter 4. For 40 years, this guy had been in the same pattern. 
And this is quite the change. Verse 8, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So again, this is a similar instance as when the Spirit came among the people, among the disciples, at Pentecost, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. People were amazed that they started speaking in their own languages that they shouldn't have been able to speak in. And Peter notices this, that people are astonished. And he begins his sermon. He uses the opportunity that's in front of him to proclaim the truth. Right? So the guy's actually hanging on to Peter and John. He's like, man, these are my new best friends. I am never going to leave these guys' side because who knows what else they're going to do. Right? And maybe he's like, I want to see them do this with other people. Like, I don't want to be the only one that they help out. I want to see some more wonders and signs that they're able to do. I want to see some more people, you know, and the buddies that I hang out with, right, whenever they just drop me off, you know, at the cripple gate, you know, at the end of the day. Like, I want to see them heal those people. Right? So he's clinging to Peter and John. And all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. They're, I mean, it's like, you know, the crowd's gathering. Like, something's happening over here. Like, this is unique and different. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. And it's kind of interesting. And, and so, the sort of few points that I have for this sermon today are, and the things that I want to make sure and mention One we're going to see here immediately in what Peter says in verse 12. The other one we're going to see a little bit later on in verse 17. And throughout it, we're going to see the third point. But the first one is um, kind of like what are the titles I gave for the sermon. It's not Peter's piety. All right. So it's not your piety that's going to save you or anybody else, all right? So that's, that's our first point. It's not your piety, and if you're like, I have no idea what piety is unless it's like pie eating, right? And we all know what that's like because Thanksgiving's coming up. And if anybody wants to make a pumpkin pie with lots of Cool Whip, I'm game. But piety is basically your actions towards holiness, okay? So it's you praying, you reading your Bible and studying God's word, It's you, like what this guy's expecting, giving alms to people who are less fortunate, who people who are in need. It's doing all the good, wonderful, churchy things that the church people expect you to do, right? That's piety, holiness. Well, what we need to recognize, first and foremost, is what Peter clearly says as he begins to address the crowd. He says, look, this is not because of my piety or John's, or any, or this guy's, this crippled guy's, or any of us. It's not because of our holiness that this has happened. Verse 12, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Now, isn't that an interesting question? Why do you wonder at this? Like, what do you mean, why do you wonder at this? The guy's been laying out here at the gate for like 30 plus years since his adulthood. Like every day, this guy is there at the temple. Why do you think we're wondering at this? This is not 
normal. This guy should not be able to walk. This guy, there's no way he's been playing this ruse for this long, right? I mean, maybe for a day or two. We might wonder at this. Of course we're wondering at this. That's, this doesn't happen every day. Or why do you stare at us? Right? So why do you wonder at this? Kind of like, you know, the guy's hanging on Peter's shoulder. Right? And he's like, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. No, I mean, if you have a different version, maybe it says something other than piety. Right? Anybody, anybody have a different version? Holiness. Holiness, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's by our own holiness that we've done this. No, it's not because we've done enough good deeds in our life to gain the power to be able to heal this guy. That's not the point of the truth of the gospel, of who Jesus Christ is and what he calls us to do as his disciples. Right? He's not waiting for us to attain some level of holiness to where then he can use us. He's not waiting for us to pray enough He's not waiting for us to be holy enough. He's not waiting for us to study the Bible enough and to have enough knowledge and apologetic skills or evangelistic fervor to do something with us. Where this power is coming from, right? If we've been reading the first couple chapters of Acts, this comes from the Holy Spirit that is now within Peter and John. This is something that the Spirit has done. This is not something that Peter himself has done of his own power or his own piety. He continues on, verse 13, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Now, as we continue reading in verse 14, notice we've just given been given a title for Jesus. We're going to be given another couple titles for Jesus. And Peter is pretty harsh right now, right? To start out the sermon, he's really beaten it into the people. He's saying, look, I want to remind you of what you did, okay? Like, let's just set the record straight here, okay? Like, you were part of this whole last few months worth of events that have gone on. And so who is Jesus, right? He points everything back. He says, look, it's not about me. It's not about John. It's not about this crippled guy that's not crippled anymore. All of this is to point you and to help you to see Jesus. God has done something through Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And he began by saying there in verse 13 that it's his servant Jesus. Now, this isn't just a random phrase for Jesus, that Jesus served people. Right? This is a realization back to like Isaiah 52 and 53, the suffering servant. That's all throughout really Isaiah. Okay, his servant Jesus. Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied, right, another title, the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed Right? You denied, you delivered over, you denied, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Right? You did all these things and they were really bad. But what God did was even better and like went beyond your awfulness. The depth of your depravity was not too deep for God to go down and to raise you up out of that 
and to get you out of the awfulness and the shame and the guilt that you ought to be feeling right now. God can do something with that. And God did something in the first place by raising him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. That's what it says there in verse 15. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Right? We looked at that in Acts chapter 1. The whole point of Jesus commanding his disciples, commissioning them to go and to proclaim the gospel to all nations was to be a witness to his resurrection. Because this is something that no one else can claim to have done. No one else has been raised from the dead like Jesus has been raised from the dead. If we want to know what's unique about Jesus and unique about Christianity, unique about the gospel, is it at its center, we have a story about Jesus being raised from the dead. And these guys literally saw him. They spent time with him after he was resurrected from the dead. They touched him. They ate with him. They walked and talked with him. And to this, Peter and John and the apostles and the early disciples were witnesses. And his name, right? So that that means like everything that has to do with him, not just Jesus, but like everything he did, all of who he was, all the miracles that he performed and his resurrection His name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's not Peter's piety, and it's not your piety that's going to save somebody else. So if you're waiting to be holy enough to be able to tell your friend about who Jesus is, then you're waiting for the wrong thing. If you're waiting until you've prayed enough, then you're waiting for the wrong thing. Now we should pray and we should be holy people. God has called us to that, right? What is repentance if we're not turning away from sin and turning to Christ in holiness? But if we're waiting for us to gain some sort of power through our obedience, then we're not on the same page as Peter is mentioning, We are expecting from ourselves something that we ought not to. So your piety or someone else's piety is not going to save them. My piety is not going to save you and your piety is not going to save yourself. Right? So I'm not going to ask you to be holy before you come to Christ. It defeats the purpose. Because if you can be holy without Christ before you come to him, then you don't need him. It's not the piety. The second point, verse 17. It's also not your ignorance. You cannot, you cannot consider yourself to be okay with God just because you're ignorant of the facts. Just because you didn't know any better. This is a common theme in life. I didn't know any better, Right? Any of us who have kids, I'm sure at some point we've heard an excuse from them that said, I didn't know any better. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. You didn't give me clear enough instructions. You never told me to do that. Oh, really? 
I recorded our conversation, right? I, this, have you seen some of those commercials? I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it's an insurance company or something, but um, <laughs> there's a couple fighting out. Uh, they're going camping. Maybe you've seen this. They're camping, and the wife asked the husband, hey, did you bring the life jackets because they're about to go on the boat? And he's like, no, you were supposed to get those. And she's like, no, you said you were going to get them. He's like, no, I don't think so. And so she calls an instant replay, you know, because that would be really cool if you could do that, call an instant replay and go back and watch the conversation when they were back at the house, you know, and say, who was supposed to pack these? Of course, the wife was right. Um, And the guy was supposed to have brought the life jackets and he didn't. But it would be fun to go back and to say, you know, oh, I I didn't know, you know. My excuse is I plead ignorance. But we can't do that. Ignorance is not going to save you in the end. Your piety is not going to save you. Your ignorance is not going to keep you from what you deserve. Verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Now, some of what I think this would hearken back to is Jesus on the cross, right? One of the sayings of Jesus on the cross. You all know which one I'm referencing here, right? Father, forgive them. They, they know not what they do, right? Jesus said, y'all are acting in ignorance. You don't realize who I am, right? Such an unfortunate reality that we do live and act in ignorance. So I'm not saying that ignorance is not a real thing. Peter is clearly saying that we live in ignorance for much of our lives in many circumstances, some of us more than others. Some of us are happy in our ignorance, right? Ignorance is bliss, as they say. It's not really, it's not really good for anybody, but Jesus knew it, Peter knew it, but he doesn't leave them there, all right? So that's what we need to see. He doesn't leave them there. Right? And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So look, look, guys, I mean, you were kind of, you know, in a way, pawns in a scheme, except you're still not innocent. You acted ignorantly, but you're not innocent. Repent, therefore, right? Verse 19. Because if they were innocent, he would not be calling them to repent. If they were innocent in their ignorance, he would say, good news, guys. God's not going to hold that against you. And so you're good to go. Don't worry about it. Right? That's not what he says. He doesn't say, God loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you continue to do. He says, you are wrong. You have been wrong even when you didn't know that you were wrong. And now realize that you were wrong. You were acting wickedly, even though at the time you didn't know it. But you now need to repent. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Right? So look, like, this is a a really easy way to illustrate what he's talking about here. So back in the day, it said that papyrus, like, you know, what these gospels and Um, the Old Testament, the New Testament was written in, 
the ink would just sit on top of the papyrus, right? So it wouldn't actually like sink into it. And so if you weren't careful with it, you could just wipe it off, right? And so this whole blotted out, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word blotted, right? To me, I think of like smudges. It doesn't sound very clean, right? But I think what he's trying to say here, what it's really saying is like, you know, there's something on a whiteboard and he says, what Jesus has done for you, what God is offering to you through repentance and faith, if you realize that you acted in ignorance and that you're not innocent and that you need to turn from that and that you need to turn towards Christ and trust in him, that he blots it out, that he wipes it away, right? All that sin that you had, look, it's not there anymore. And maybe there is still a little bit of a trace of it, right? Maybe there's still effects of sin in your life, but that sin that was there, it's not there anymore. Like, you don't have to pay the penalty for it. Jesus has. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It's something that is not for you to have to carry. Jesus did that. That's the point. You didn't even know that you had a problem. And Jesus lifted that problem from you and took it upon himself. But what's required of you is not just to sit back and to have no response. There is no universalism that is preached in this Bible. Not everybody is going to heaven. Not everybody is loved by God and forgiven. You must repent. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. There is a requirement put on us. As much as I will continue to proclaim that salvation is of God and God alone, as much as I will continue to proclaim what Peter does. Look, don't look at me. I didn't do this. Don't look at John. He didn't do it. Don't look at this crippled guy. He didn't do it either. But what we've done is we've recognized the truth of who Jesus is and our sin. We've matched those together. We've repented. We've turned from that sin and we've turned to Christ and we are following him. We believe him. Repentance and faith. That's the third point. That, it's not your piety and it's not your ignorance that you can plead. It's not saying, look at all the things that I have done. Look at how holy I am. And it's not saying, I didn't know any better. It's not saying, I knew I should do all that stuff and I did all that stuff. And it's not saying, I didn't know I should do all that stuff and I didn't do it. It's saying, I have done wrong things. I am not who God has called me to be as his creature, as a person in this world under his dominion and care. I have sinned against him. But he offers me forgiveness through Jesus Christ when I repent and believe. And he calls the people to respond, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that they might be erased from the whiteboard, that times of refreshing may come, right? It's not just, hey, your sins can be wiped away and, you know, and that's it. There's even like 
And there's more, right? You know, and the whole guy who's on TV trying to sell you something, right? Your sins are going to be blotted out. And there's more. There's times of refreshing. Like God's going to bless you in ways that you hadn't recognized before, that you don't realize. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That you're going to live now with the Spirit residing inside of you, the Holy Spirit of God living in you, bringing to you a peace and a love and a joy that you didn't have before, where you no longer have to try to keep earning your place before God with your holiness, with your piety, where you don't have to worry about those times where you have found out that you were ignorant and that you acted unknowingly against God. But now you can know the truth. You can live in the truth. And realize that Jesus is going to come again. Right? But right now, he's in heaven. Right? Verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Right? Jesus has his current situation and interceding for us before the Father. But what we're called to do, he continues on, and he says, like Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, what we read earlier, was God's going to raise this prophet from among the people? And you need to listen to him. And even back then in Deuteronomy 18, where Peter's quoting from, and he says that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. If you don't repent, if you don't believe in Christ, if you don't turn from your sin, if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there are negative consequences. And the major negative consequence will come on Judgment Day. When we stand before God, giving an account. And some of us are going to plead, look at all the holy things that I've done. And some of us are going to plead ignorance. But as we sang, however long ago, since I've been preaching for a while, right? Some of us are going to proclaim nothing but the blood of Jesus. Like I, I needed Jesus to save me because I couldn't save myself. I needed Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin because I couldn't pay for it myself. Not of good that I have done, right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What I needed for my pardon was nothing that I could do. I needed God to raise up this servant. So, so where are you at? Where are you at just initially? Have you responded to this call to stop depending on your holiness and stop depending on your ignorance and to start putting your faith and trust in Christ? Have you done that for yourself? And then like Peter, if we have done that, we are following after Christ, we are seeking to be obedient to him, 
Having turned from our sin, having turned to Christ, we're following him, we're following his commands. He's commanded us to be his witnesses. And so like Peter is doing here in his sermon again in Acts chapter 3, he is calling people to repentance. He is taking an opportunity that is in front of him where people are astounded, where people have their attention fixed on him. And he says, let me take this opportunity to tell you about Jesus and to give you a chance to respond to that truth. Are we doing that as Christians? Are we calling people to repentance? And we don't have to be rude about it, right? Because like you read the sermon from Acts chapter 3 and what Peter's saying, and he's like, hey, like you guys, you killed Jesus, you handed him over to Pilate, you put him on a cross, you denied him. You people did all that. Y'all, y'all is messed up, right? But he doesn't leave it there. He says, look, God has sent Jesus to you, and he is still giving you this chance. Just because you failed in the first place doesn't mean you don't still have this opportunity. He gets a little softer as it goes on. So maybe we ought to be bold and in your face with some people. Maybe we ought to slowly build up our relationship with other people to where they begin to trust us. Well, we're not starting out by being able to quote Old Testament stuff that these people are going to understand that we're talking to over here on Main Street on Saturday during the trunk or treat, right? They don't know what the Old Testament says. They've probably never read it in their life. Ask them to quote something from the Old Testament. They probably would say, maybe some of them, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? What else are they going to say from the Old Testament? They don't know. Some of us don't know much of what happened in the Old Testament. Well, we've got to start from a different position than what Peter did. But we ought to start somewhere, and we ought to be going towards asking people to respond to the truth of the gospel by presenting it to them, proclaiming it to them, and offering them a chance to respond. So where are you at? Have you responded to this? And if you are a Christian and have responded... Are you calling other people to respond to it? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the boldness of Peter and his example. We thank you for the work that you've done through your spirit to do these miracles. God, we we haven't seen many miracles in our midst, and maybe it's because we depend too much on structures and formats and our ability to care for ourselves. Maybe it's because we do have silver and gold and we don't need the work of the Spirit. God, help us to overcome that temptation. Help us to overcome our dependence on the abundance of goods that we have and to get on our knees and to depend on the work of your spirit in our midst. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.